0: celebrate that this morning. I'm going to ask you if you would one more time stand with me please. Uh, We're going to share our, our series text. It is found in the Old Testament book of Micah. Micah chapter 4 verse 2. And if you would find one of the screens where it's comfortable for you to read, let's read out loud together please. And many nations shall come and say, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in His paths. Everybody say, His paths. Let's go together. Second verse. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The law of God. This is literally speaking of the new law of of the New Testament. Jesus basically says, a new commandment I give unto you. The, The new law is not the law of Sinai. This is the law out of Zion. Okay, So this is the gospel that God is giving to us, the law of love, that has been written on the tablets of our hearts. Uh, so let's, this morning as we, we think about that, we're not talking about the fulfillment that came in the Old Testament. Actually, this was fulfilled in Christ when He walked into to Jerusalem and He began to proclaim the gospel of God is what Mark chapter 1 talks about. So we're going to pick up with that this morning. I'm going to go ahead, while you're still standing, let's grab the message text for today. Uh, this one is just one verse out of Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 16 prophet of God speaking, prophesying to the children of Israel as they're going into captivity, into Babylon. And the judgment of the Lord is upon them because of basically bowing to the the foreign gods of Baal and Ashtoreth and Shemosh and Molech and all of those things. And so this is what the Lord says. Read out loud with with me, please. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths. Say that again, ancient paths. So we're talking about the old ways. He says, where the good way is and walk in it, read with me, and find rest for your souls. But they said, what? We will not walk in it. God, let's spare our hearts this morning. God, we just thank you. As we come before you, we ask you to grant the grace of God. we acknowledge that apart from your grace, we can't even know grace. You have to move boldly in the first move. Thank you that that move actually took place before the world began. When you chose us in Christ, thank you that you sent your son Jesus Christ to come into the world and to appropriate, to actually put into action those plans that you made before the foundation of the world. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here present today, that that we're experiencing a Trinitarian presence, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who comes to abide in each of us. We ask you today that you move and apply the amazing principles of the gospel, the truth of the word, the law of the Lord, and the gospel of God that is given the law to, to break us and make us ready to humble us, and the gospel then to lift us up and to build us up to be what you've called us to be. By your grace we are saved. We thank you for that. I acknowledge before you that I, I can't do anything, nothing, absolutely nothing apart from you. Move in this place today by your Holy Spirit, by your presence Speak to the hearts of your people, I pray. We'll be careful to give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. The title of the message today is called The Great Disconnect. We hope that you are participating in a life group somewhere. Um, you know, if, if, if your, your job situation has got your, your hours just absolutely so tied up that you can't do it, we understand. At the same time... Um, we really, really encourage you with all of our hearts. We we implore you. We beseech you, as Paul says, to use some old King James language. I beseech you, therefore, my brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Um, There's a lot that takes place on a Sunday morning service and celebration, but there's just a whole lot that you don't get in a setting like this where we're in corporate worship and you're basically looking at the back of somebody else's head and maybe occasionally giving a nod or commenting to somebody uh, in the row with you. But real fellowship, real growth, spiritual growth takes place in smaller settings. Celebration is great in big settings, but discipleship, which is not an option in the kingdom of God. I know there are a lot of pastors, a lot of churches out there that do. They just preach a very, very reductionist kind of watered down gospel that, you know, it's just all about Jesus dying for your sins so you can go to heaven. And it's basically people just sort of put it all away and go, okay, I've done that. I don't need to do anything else. And basically, never really grow in their faith. There's no real transformation in their lives, and that's really what I want to talk about today: is the anorexia of, of modern evangelicalism. Is this just the absence of the kingdom of God and the lordship of Christ? And basically, they think that once they've you know knelt at the altar, shaken a pastor's hand, or they've they, they've sort of gone through the motions and gotten a fresh start or whatever, that they've got that taken care of now. And all the other stuff is for really for the the super sort of high-powered, you know, uh, Delta Force or the the Navy SEALs of Christianity. It's for all those folks that really want to go deeper. No, no, God wants every one of you to learn how to walk with Him and follow Him and to know the depths of His love for you. Somebody help me say amen this morning. And so we're just strongly encouraging it's not too late. You get a free copy of this if you'll attend one of our life groups. We've got them going on all week long, starting tomorrow night in different places in Marion and West Memphis. And uh, got them for the men. I want to invite especially just throughout a shameless promotion for my group that I'm leading with men Thursday morning at 530. Yeah, I know it's early, but you know what? There's something about it, just getting it before day, before everybody else does, and committing that time to praying and seeking the face of the Lord. We've had some great fellowship. Uh, that group is continuous. It just goes on all the time. So we've, we've read our text this morning, and we're talking about the great disconnect. You might wonder what, what kind of great disconnect Are we dealing with here? Um, and, And so this morning I want to try and show you how it is that we manage to isolate our different decisions that we make as if they are solitary, as if they are standalone, and they really don't have any effect over the rest of our lives. Everything is connected. Everything is woven together, and you don't make a singular decision in any area of your life that doesn't impact the rest of the whole of your life. And, and, and for, for whatever reason, we seem to disconnect that this morning. And that's going to be what I'm going to talk about for the next few moments with you together. Uh, my first point really is the one takeaway from last week. And it is that this book is going to bring to us the understanding. Point number one, read it out loud with me, please, if you would. Direction, not intention, determines your destination. Say that out loud with me one more time, everybody. Direction, not intention determines destination. Now, it's just very easy to see uh, the geographical illustration here in that I, I can't go to Nashville by getting on I-40 West. I'm going to head up and I'm heading to Little Rock, uh, be over in Oklahoma in a little while, probably, you know, cross the states heading on into California. I won't be able to make it to Nashville going on I-40 West. Uh, I need to be going on I-40 East. Uh, certainly, it's not going to work if I do a diagonal trip away from uh, where I'm supposed to be headed. Direction is critical. Direction is the composite of all the the steps or the choices, the decisions that you're making in your life. And many times we just sort of go through life intending to have a great marriage. We're intending to have solid financial futures. We're intending to have a great spiritual walk with God. And, and you can begin to multiply all the examples that I believe the scripture speaks to. And these are gospel-centered issues. The, the person who thinks this isn't about the gospel really has such a reductionist understanding of the gospel that, they're, that that's who I'm speaking to. in this whole anorexic modern evangelicalism that just sort of puts everything into that boat of it's Jesus died for your sins so you can go to heaven. And then everything else in life just sort of Monday through Saturday doesn't even come into the purview of God's word. And the gospel speaks to every area of our lives. It has implications in all of those areas. And so this morning, as as we look, I want you to see from Proverbs chapter 7, it tells a story. It tells a story about an older gentleman who is a father, and he's looking out the window through the lattice into the street of the city. And because this father already has some experience, and experience has brought him some judgment Now, notice I didn't say judgmentalism. There's a difference between the two. Judgment in the sense of being able to discern between right and wrong is a critical issue of maturity. As a matter of fact, if you're reading this text, chapter 2 this week is going to talk about the fact that uh, scientifically it has been identified that the, the, the specific part of the brain where youths are able to begin to arrive at a solid place of making a good judgment call about something whether they should be involved in or not doesn't even begin to develop until their early 20s. Now some of you are going, that's what's wrong with my teenager because <laughs> their brain ain't all together there yet. Yeah, it's, it's basically been uh, discovered that that whole prefrontal lobe, that, that the cortex, or I, I'm probably getting off my biological terms, but uh, that whole section of the brain that is able to help people process this issue of judgment. And again, we're not talking condemnation. We're talking about being able to see between uh, white and black, between light and darkness, between good and evil, between being able to say, I don't need to take that step down that path because it's going to end up giving me fruit that I don't want to have to eat. I don't need to sow that seed Because remember, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. And if we sow to the flesh, we will reap corruption. If we sow to the Spirit, we will reap everlasting life. Somebody say amen. So something is a disconnect. And this is the reason we have so many frustrating arguments many times as parents with our teenage children. It's because they just don't have that ability to process it yet. Now some some folks are old souls... Some kids really have it and some kids don't get it till later, and some folks are 50 and have still not yet developed that. And, and so this morning we're not all about, you know, getting onto the youth. At the same time, it's all about having a heart inside as a youth that is willing to listen to the parents who've already been there and faced everything you're facing. Maybe it's not exactly the same name brand kind of temptation today, but the devil has nothing new. He has no new tricks. The same stuff he's been attempting to, uh, to tempt, deceive, and then accuse in your lives, he's been doing it for millennia. Okay, it's all the same stuff. It's chemically based. It's sexual seduction. Uh, it's dishonesty. It's unethical un- behavior. It's, it's getting something easily and quickly uh, from improper means. It, it, it's not walking in that principle that the blessing of the Lord, it makes rich, but he adds no sorrow with it. You know, there are a lot of ways you can get rich this morning. You can go buy and sell some drugs and you can make a lot of money really quickly. But you know what? With that, sorrow's going to come, especially when you get caught. The blessing of the Lord, it makes rich and He adds no sorrow with it. And so this, this father, this older man, is basically rehearsing through Proverbs chapter 7 going, My son, Hear my words and get them in your heart and bind the law of your mother around your neck. And he's going through all of this sort of poetic kind of language, likening it to something that you're supposed to adorn even the outside of your body with. Maybe even like getting it, uh, you know, some kind of indication on whether you're going to wear it as a bracelet or you're going to mark it on your body in some kind of way. Make sure this is not just external, but get it inside your heart and live by it. And he says it for this purpose. He says, because I want you to be careful uh, of the seductress, the adulterous woman. Now, please don't tune me out this morning and, say, and think automatically that the rest of this message is going to be about sexual temptation because the adulteress, the seductress in your life may come at some point in your life, probably every man in here. Uh, but then if, then if we only think of it in those terms, it sort of segregates the women. The seductress can be a handsome man who's attempting to call you away from your marriage vows. The seductress can be an opportunity to get rich quick and do it unethically. The seductress can be a choice that you think is not going to affect your life, but it's an opportunity that will draw you down. As we read out of Robert Frost's poem, The Road Less, Less Traveled, or The Road Not Taken, last week was way leads on to way. And many times we walk through one door not realizing that it's going to open up another door choice of doors that are going to be more powerfully alluring and drawing than the first one was and until we pull back from that and are able to get a good sense of judgment and the crazy thing about is that youth can't really develop judgment until they've had experience and they can't develop experience have experience until they've made some mistakes Now, the the problem with that is that you don't have to learn everything in life by a mistake. You can learn from others who've gone before you. That's why the Bible tells us not just the triumphs of the saints who've gone before us, but the tragedies of their lives as well. It's, it's important that we don't just recognize that David is this amazing warrior poet who is able to, uh, uh, to, to remove the lion and the bear and, and rescue the sheep. And he's, he's wrestled down the claw of the lion and the paw of the bear. And, and he's taking down the giant, the Philistine named Goliath. But we also realize that he fought some other battles that he didn't win, but he lost. And it was a battle over self it was over self-gratification, over lust because of a beautiful woman was bathing on a rooftop that he could look down from the, the, the parapet of the castle and see. And I want to go, well, why was she bathing on the roof in the first place? Um, but the point is, we can't make it her fault any more than we can turn and, and place blame somewhere else when we're the ones who stay there and keep looking at Bathsheba and we're drawn further into whatever is tempting us. Somebody say amen. So the the father is going through this process telling them, look, man, she's going to come out here with all of her wily ways and she's going to bat her eyes at you. And you're going to be mesmerized by those pearly whites and the smile and the luscious red lips that are plumped up and she's probably had collagen injections so they poof out a little bit more. And she's got on the most alluring, the, the latest fashions, and she has on the greatest clothing. And, and again, don't hear this as only a sexual temptation. Hear this as whatever is in front of you. If it's 72 months, zero financing, and this new, got to have that new car smell. If it's a financial decision, then there's some seduction involved and you're getting drawn into it. Whatever it is that you're facing or battling right now, even as Abby was prophesying in the word of the Lord, I, the Lord, see, I know, I'm aware of it, every pain, every hurt, circumstance. And she was just flowing prophetically and that God is aware of what you're facing this morning. Now... In light of that, hear the words of a Heavenly Father that's looking through the latticework into the world on the streets that we're on and see that we're headed into a path. We're headed in a direction that's going to pull us into the ways of death is what the Bible says. He goes on, and for time's sake, I didn't print all of this or uh, deliberately didn't make the determination to read the whole section, but I do want to get about three verses Uh, from, From verse 24 in Proverbs 7, he says, And now, O sons, listen to me, and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways, and do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. This is a universal issue. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. These are the words that appear in the uh, English Standard Version of Proverbs chapter 7. And more than likely it was Solomon who wrote this and who himself had probably had the opportunity to be drawn into the seduction of a wily temptress. And she just says, hey listen, my husband's not even here and I've already got the beds laid out and it's the finest linen, it's 800 count egyptian cotton and we've got everything that's just going to be amazing i've perfumed and oiled it, and it's going to be an amazingly sensual lavish experience and just and, it, and the bible says of this young man in proverbs chapter 7 it says that literally he was captivated as an ox was going to a slaughter it was as if the arrow had already pierced his liver he's a dead man walking and doesn't even know it yet the, the issue is, is this big point of direction, not intention, determines our destination. When you first take the steps in the way of that tempting thing, something disconnects in our minds, especially as youths who haven't developed that capacity for judgment and discernment yet. But what's wrong with us as 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 and 70-year-old people who seem to have this disconnect? We, we can certainly realize that if I keep going mile marker after mile marker north on I-55, I'm going to end up in St. Louis. And the, the geographical uh, lesson and the metaphor is so obvious that it's just to the point of being ridiculous. We say we want to go to Nashville, and you're going, okay, that's such a silly illustration. Of course we see that, and it's obvious to us, but something disconnects when we start talking about the decisions we're making on a daily basis, and remember, those are landmarks on the highway that we're traveling, and we keep making more decisions that keep pulling us further into debt and toward bankruptcy, and a relationship that's going to crash on the rocks, and a marriage that is nothing anywhere near how we first intended it when we first married. And we stood in the presence of witnesses with family, with Google eyes looking at each other, just just completely happy and joining our hearts together with God as our witness. We even made words, statements that this is not just two in the marriage, but there's three, there's husband, wife, and, and God himself. And somewhere along the way, we, we took a wrong turn and we got off the path and we threw ourselves into our careers. and. And 40 be- hours became 50, became 60, became 70. And, and then wives who didn't have the love of their husbands, instead of looking to them for support, began to shop and buy. And, and shopaholism, and his is workaholism. And, and everything begins to just compound, and it gets worse and worse and worse. And I'm describing the symptoms of so many people sitting in churches in 21st century America. And we get stuck in our patterns of circularity and we're just going around the mountain doing the same thing over and over and over again and we're just digging our ruts because remember circular motion is a sign of the judgment of God on our lives. And again, as 21st century evangelicals don't always hear judgment meaning punishment. The judgment of God in its purest sense is to set something right It's to to bring an adjustment. And yes, the the correction may be painful, but it's going to bring life to us ultimately that will will change us for the future. Can somebody say amen? Amen. And so in order to get out of that circularity, we have to at some point acknowledge, I can't keep going in this same direction. We must connect the dots of our daily choices and our current direction. When when, uh, as a student of history... And as a teacher of history at this point on the college level, uh, the, I, I was reminded of the adventurer, the age of exploration, when Columbus, having been bankrolled by Spain and Ferdinand and Isabella, and they empower this Italian to, to head across the big pond because he was looking to try to find a way to India. And he lands in what would become known as the West Indies, on the island of what he names as Hispaniola. And the town is uh, Isabella, named after the Queen. But when he finally makes that trip, and it takes a little over three months, there were days that his men were almost mutinous. And he writes about it in his journals. Prayers are written out by Christopher Columbus seeking the face of God, knowing that he was convinced that that he was going to find a way into what would become known as the New World. And numerous days appear in his journals. The only line that he would say, this day we sailed westward. That's it, period. This day. We sailed westward. August, September, October. This month we will celebrate Columbus Day because it's the day recognized where he made landfall. And there was a point where his men were demanding that they turn around and go back and head back to ground and territory that they had known before because we like our comfort zones we like uh, understanding that we're not too far out from the harbor or too far from the sight of land because we see safety and territory that we've been before but if we're going to experience something new and the blessings that come from spiritual growth we're going to have to be like Joshua and say you're about to go a direction that you have never passed before you're going to see new territory Remember, if you're looking around in your life and it's repetitive and you're seeing things, the, geograph- the geography of your, your relationships is all looking the same and you've got a little bit of spiritual deja vu and you go, I've been in this place before, that's a real good sign that you're stuck in a circular pattern of judgment. God's taking you back again to the 7th grade or to the 8th grade or whatever to go again to learn what you need to. We, we talked last week about 40 years of wandering in what should have been an 11-day journey it's just so unfortunate sometimes that people completely, totally miss that. Um, Our thoughts, if we think them long enough, become actions. Our actions, if we do them long enough, become habits. If our habits are practiced long enough, they become our character. And if we continue to sow our character and live out of it, it will produce a destiny for our lives. That's your destination. So it all starts back in the little seed called your thought. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Every thought, every action you take along the way is a landmark in the direction that you're going. No matter how much you intend to be somewhere else, you have to make sure that your actions and your intentions are together. Number two, point number two, quickly. Forgiveness isn't the issue, repentance is. Forgiveness isn't the issue, repentance is. This is such... A critical topic this morning in this part of the message because I think this is where we have completely just about jumped off the boat in modern evangelicalism when it comes to the gospel. Listen to Mark chapter 1 verses 14 and 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, there are some today that would tell you the gospel Jesus preached was solely about the kingdom and that the gospel today that we're supposed to preach is the gospel of salvation. And that is heretical. There is no separation between the two. Jesus preached the gospel of God. And the gospel of God was, hey, guess what? God has shown up. He has become the king now, and Jesus Christ is Lord. You know what the easiest way to preach the gospel? Say three words or four. Jesus Christ is Lord. Say it with me. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the way you can preach the gospel right there. And the problem is, is that we are so often preaching Jesus as Savior, and we're leaving out the part of Jesus is Lord. And we've got thousands upon thousands that have become millions of people in America who know Jesus is Savior, and some of them stumble into the fact after just being hungry in the Word and not being satisfied by hearing John 3.16 warmed up over every Sunday in some different kind of way that Jesus died for your sins so you can go to heaven. Now, there's a little chart there in your notes, and I want you to see that on one side it says Savior, the other side it says Lord. Below that it says Priest, Under Lord, it says King. Below that, it says Jesus as Lamb. The other side to the right, it says Jesus as Lord. Did you know that Jesus is called Savior 24 times in the New Testament? Would anyone care to venture a guess as to how many times He's called Lord in the New Testament? 767 times. He's called Savior 24 times in the New Testament. He's called Lord 767 times. What is that? 440? What is that? At least 30 times as many He's called Lord as He is Savior. But do you realize in America how we have flipped? We've minored on the majors and we've majored on the minors. And in so many gospel places, all they ever get is this little tidbit of Jesus has come to be your Savior. And therefore, you come to the front, you shake the pastor's hand, you get baptized, you, take, you have a fresh start, whatever you do, and you basically think, okay, I have taken care of that spiritual issue that's done. I can go on with the rest of my life. And you never understand that you cannot keep living the way you used to live before you met Jesus and be able to claim that He's the Lord of your life. And the reason people are doing that is because they've never heard the full gospel. And this is what we've been saying here at Victory for 25 years. There's a huge push to arrive at what the gospel is. And in so many circles, they're doing this little reductionist thing again. No, it's all about just the cross. And I want to tell you, the cross is not the complete gospel. He didn't just come to die for you. He got up out of the grave and He has lived for you. And He's alive this morning. In too many gospel presentations, and we go through them for years, we were taught that the gospel question is, if you die tonight, would you go to heaven? And I want to tell you that's not even anywhere near the gospel question. You want to know the real fullness of the gospel question? The question is not if you die tonight. The question is, if you're alive tomorrow, will you trust Jesus Christ with your whole life? That's the gospel question. That makes every difference in your life in terms of how you live and the choices you make. And we get stuck in this pattern of just asking Jesus for forgiveness. And let me tell you something. If you're stuck in a place where you've had to ask forgiveness for the same thing more than five or six times, this is where you are right here. You're in a circular pattern. You're in a circular pattern that Jesus Christ did come and die not only to forgive you from your sins, but to deliver you from that repetitive behavior uh, the destructive pattern of circularity. He came to not just forgive you and, and wash away the penalty. He came to deliver you and set you free. Come on, somebody. That's the difference right there. And unfortunately, too many folks don't hear that, don't conceive of that. So then the gospel becomes a point of re reapplying it to my life. It's not just Jesus died for my sins so that I could go to heaven, but Jesus died to bring me freedom and liberty. And the thing that I'm personally right now, my circumstance where I'm struggling with it right now, His finished work, absorb that thing and if I can come to him in brokenness again in bankruptcy and say Jesus thank you that my home in heaven is secure but right now I am broken I'm stuck in this pattern of behavior and I'm tired of having to ask forgiveness constantly give me the gift of repentance let me change my mind about this thing help me to change my behavior help me to be set free forgiveness is not the issue repentance is Repentance means I change my mind about it and my behavior follows. Everybody say belief Belief. dictates behavior. So what I believe about it, and this is what most people say, they go, well, you know, it doesn't matter. I'll just confess my sins. He's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. It's all gone. And people end up using this kind of a greasy grace sort of an idea just to stay stuck in a place that Jesus died to not just forgive them for, but get them set free and delivered from. Are you guys hearing me this morning? There's a whole different approach to the gospel. And and, and I don't want you to hear this the wrong way. I'm not in any way saying we're any better than anybody else, but the majority of the churches in this area don't even talk about this aspect of the gospel. So there's a difference. There's a difference. So many people... Rise up and it's all about the priestly ministry of Jesus, what he's done for me. And they do not talk about the king side of Jesus, what he's doing in me. He's Lord, he's boss, he's calling the shots. And in too many places, they preach Jesus the Lamb and they never preach Jesus the Lord. And it's this anemic, anorexic, evangelical, little bitty kind of reductionist sort of gospel. And when you read to the book of Acts, and I have just have read it about three times through in the last several months because we've been taking men at on Thursday morning at 5.30, through the book of Acts. And when you read the sermons of Peter and of Paul, never did any of them ever make the issue when they preached the gospel a heaven-hell issue. They never did say, Jesus died for your sins so you could go to heaven. They every time said, Jesus Christ is Lord. The one you crucified, He's made Lord in Christ. It's a big message of the big gospel. It's a big message of an enlarged idea of this thing called the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Jesus' lamb is preached in so many places. And at some point in time, folks just sort of stumble into Jesus as Lord. But at Victory Here, we're careful to tell you that Jesus Christ is Lord. When you preach He's Lord, then you get the lamb part with it. How is He Lord? He died for your sins. But He didn't just die on a cross He took your sins to the grave. He buried them. He destroyed them. The Father, in order to validate who He was, raised Him up on the third day. And the Bible says, By the resurrection from the dead, Romans 1, He is declared to be the Son of God. And in that very passage, Paul said, This is the gospel of God. He is the Lord of all creation. He's not just the Savior of sinners. Are you hearing me? Point number three, there's a lot there I'd like to jump into, and I had a great Dallas Willard quote, but I don't have time. Let me finish the last point this morning. Are you getting anything out of this? Last point and we're done. Num- number three, to arrive at the proper destination, my direction must be in alignment with my intentions. Say that out loud with me. To arrive at the proper destination, my direction must be in alignment with my intentions. I can't have this great disconnect I can't keep passing mile markers along the path of a highway of life that I'm on, the decisions that I continue to make that are pulling me deeper into a marriage that is being destroyed, finances that are getting worse and worse, a spiritual life that is non-existent. Okay? I have to begin to make decisions. And this is what happens. This is what the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. The Lord our God said to us, In Horeb, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey. I know I preached that last Sunday, and people have been calling, and people have texted, and Facebook messaged me privately, and, and, and a group leaders have talked about how that so impacted so many people, and just the whole demonstration of circularity. A 40-year trip should have been 11 days. It was because some decisions that were made along the way. God stands up, prophesies through Moses as Moses stands, and he says, you've been on this mountain long enough. Another translation says, you've toiled this mountain long enough. Some of you have been in circumstances and patterns of behavior that have just taken you down, down, just like Jonah who went down to the dock and who went down into the ship and then he went down into the sea then he went down into the whale's belly. And you just feel like everything in your life is almost like a Jonah story. It just can't look up. It just keeps getting down the word of the Lord to you is you've toiled in this place. You've been stuck in this spiritual rut long enough. And I've said it again this morning and I brought it back to bear again, literally as part two from last week. Because all week long in my prayer time and my praying in the spirit over you and over this church, it's like God said, that's a, a coal off of the altar that I'm giving to you. That is the present rhema, the word of the Lord to this church. You've been on this mountain long enough. Your personal circumstance, where you're struggling, the circular pattern of behavior, where you are, you've been there long enough. Turn and take your journey. What is turn? Turn means to change your mind, change directions. Repent. It's not coming down one more time and having somebody lay hands on you or kneeling at the altar or fasting three days or or whatever you think you've got to do to get the forgiveness of God, which, by the way, is a gift. You don't earn it. But let me tell you something. You have to visibly, you have to move and, and uh, begin to apprehend, begin to take steps into a completely different direction. Get up off this mountain in your comfortable place and begin to walk a direction and a path that you've never gone before. That's the word of the Lord. That's to us, not only in our personal circumstances and our marriages and our finances. That's to us as a church as it relates to this building. You've been in this this termite infested situation long enough turn and take your journey and go out there and besides we already own that promised land and that 30 acres we own it we already we've already possessed the land but it's time to get out there and build and see the spirit of God and the presence of God do something in a whole new time and a new period in our lives as Christians in the delta somebody say amen proverbs 19:3. a person's own folly leads to their ruin Yet their heart rages against the Lord. A person's own folly leads to their ruin. I am in the mess I'm in because of the choices that I have made. It's amazing to me sometimes the people over the years, in 25 years of ministry, who've sat down in my office and they begin to describe the bleakness of their personal circumstances. And I'm sitting there and it's all I can do to keep from saying out loud, please tell me you didn't see this coming. You, you have to have seen this coming because of the decisions that kept being made. And This happens to all of us. It happens to every one of us because we have, all have blinders. I have blind spots. And I, I don't realize it, but I'm making choices. And until my wife comes along or a friend comes along and says, you know what, I don't know if you realize this, but there's, there's some inconsistency here. And I need that. I need, I need people who love me enough. And I'm, I'm thinking everything is just fine. And, I, and I'm knowing that it's not happening the way I want it to. But I don't see it because I've got this blind spot. And everybody in the room has got this blind spot. And this is the crazy thing is that we keep making these same choices, hoping for different results. <laughs> and the craziness is, is that we get into the mess we're in because of our own folly, the Bible says. But then we get mad at God about it. our heart rages against the Lord. Someone keeps making bad choices and finances are in a mess and there's an economic downturn and they get laid off and then they sit in my office and go, "God, why would God let this happen to me? And with everything that's in me and the grace that I can muster, I have to go, God didn't let this happen. Now, the first step to deliverance is breaking Denial. I know denial is a river in Egypt, but denial needs to, be, needs to be broken in our hearts. And the first step to getting deliverance and out of the circular pattern of thinking forgiveness is always the issue, repentance is. And Repentance means changing my mind about it. It means recognizing He didn't just come to save me as a priest, but He came to determine in my life that His great will would be accomplished because He is Lord. He's the boss. He's the king of my life. And we live in a society, guys, where what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas is a lie from the pit of hell. Because we can't disconnect one decision from our lives and head in a direction and go, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas and then come back home and think it doesn't impact our lives and everybody else around us. Are you hearing me this morning? Joyce Meyer said, good intentions never change anything. They only become a deeper and deeper rut. Very simply this morning, and I'm finished, this is the gospel. Jesus Christ is Lord right now. He's inviting you into a whole new alternate way of life. The brokenness that you've experienced, He died to totally wash away those sins and the penalty of them. But he also died and rose again to break the power and the bondage of sin in your life so that you could be set free from circular patterns of behavior that continue to bring judgment. Don't think punishment, but judgment where God is saying, I'm going to set up a set of circumstances to push you. It may be a train wreck for some of us. To push us into a place where we, out of brokenness, finally cry out to God. And in that place where we finally acknowledge You know, he may have been our Savior for 25 years, but we've never really said, be Lord of my life. Consume me from the inside out. Take my whole life. Take my whole heart. Order my steps. I don't just want, I'm I'm not just going to be a vampire Christian, as Dallas Willard called modern evangelicalism. Just give me a little bit of your blood, but I don't really want anything else to do with you, Jesus. A lot of vampire Christians around. give me a little taste of that blood once in a while. Make sure i got some eternal life. I'm immortal. But Jesus said, come follow me. Walk with me in my paths. I will lead you in paths of righteousness for my name's sake. Let's don't be like Jeremiah and the people that responded to him and said, we will not walk in his paths. The path of the justice is the shining light that shines more and more into the perfect day. But the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. If everything is hard in life right now, it's probably a pretty good road sign to let you know that something's got to change. Jesus, we need you. We bow our hearts before you this morning and we pray. We cry out to you right now and we ask you to be Lord of our lives.